0: This is True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico in the American Desert Southwest. Welcome back to True Consequences. I'm your host, Eric carter Dean. Welcome to the first ever bonus episode of True Consequences, On this episode, I speak with Sarah Turney from the Voices for Justice podcast. Sarah is seeking justice for her sister Alyssa, who went missing nearly two decades ago. Sarah has been fighting day and night to try to get some answers related to her sister's disappearance. It's been a challenge for her to say the least, especially when the primary suspect is her father. Sarah has been very open and candid about everything and has really laid out all the evidence for what's happened with her sister on her show, Voices for Justice. I strongly encourage that you listen to that show, as she does a great job of outlining everything that happened leading up to and after Alyssa's disappearance. So, I know that Phoenix isn't part of New Mexico. I get it. Which is why I decided to release this as a bonus episode. Uh, Phoenix is pretty close to us, though. And I'm hoping that maybe some of you listeners in New Mexico and elsewhere will help get the word out about Alyssa's case and get people talking about it, especially if you have family members in Phoenix or in Arizona in general. Okay, before we jump into this, I want to remind you that I am fully listener-supported here at True Consequences, and your support means everything to me. If you'd like to donate, please go to patreon.com slash trueconsequences. If you're unable to donate, don't worry. There are other ways you can help the show out. You could write a review on your favorite podcatcher. You could subscribe, and you could also tell a friend. Either way, your support means everything to me. And I know you're anxious about season two. I'm working on it right now in production. Looking forward to sharing this season with you as it's going to be much more personal for me, and I'm hoping to really highlight more Unsolved Cases through interviews with families. Having said that, if you know anybody that might be interested in being on the show to talk about a case, I'm happy to talk with them. They can email me at eric at trueconsequences.com. That's E-R-I-C at trueconsequences.com. And just a reminder, patron subscribers at $5 or more per month get early access to season two as it's produced. There's already one episode up and another one will be up shortly. I want to take a moment and say thank you to Lisa H. and Kristen S., my newest patron subscribers. Thanks so much. Finally, follow me on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at True Consequences Pod, and on Twitter at True Cons Pod. Okay, let's get to the show. If it's okay, I'd like to start just talking a little bit about... Alyssa maybe I know your relationship with her was complicated um I'm all caught up on your show by the way so I oh wow (laughs) thank you I travel a lot for work and I just uh the first time I actually heard this case was on um the murder squad I think you were a guest on that show yeah 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 so that was the first time I'd heard of Alyssa and heard of you and heard the case and um was vaguely familiar. And I just decided before I talked to you, I should probably jump in both feet and really get familiar with everything. And it is, it's maddening. Um, yeah. On the level that, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable all the craziness and I'm sure you haven't even uncovered half of it yet, uh, in your show.
1: Yeah, it's true. There's still so much to go. Um, Even though there's like 12 hours or whatever, I I can't even believe it. Um, There's still a ton more to go, which is insane. Yeah, it's it's just such a big story. Yeah.
0: So if you don't mind, let's start with... You know your memories of Alyssa, uh, your relationship with her, and then you can just kind of drive it from there.
1: Um, so Alyssa is four years older than me, um, and she was so much more of a mother figure than I ever knew. To be honest, it was really um, when I dove deep into talking to people and even into the records that I realized how much of a mother figure she was to me. I think as a kid, you just don't see the things that your older siblings do for you, the things like washing the dishes or making sure that the house is clean or that you have clean laundry or that you don't go out of the house looking like an idiot. You just don't see that as parenting. You almost see it as, well, either you don't see it. Right. So I didn't see her keeping the house clean. It was just like a miracle to me in the background or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy looking back now because we fought so much. Um at least that's how I remembered it uh, up until now, right? Uh we had a very normal sibling rivalry. We were sisters, so we fought over everything, over our toys, over clothes, over makeup, over what I was wearing, over what I was saying, over the the music I listened to. You know, if I was lip-syncing wrong to a song, she was the first to call me out. Um <laughs> so we we fought a lot, but it was all like in in good fun right it was never that she like detrimentally hurt me or psychologically uh, traumatized me or anything like that she was really wonderful and just cool and sweet and caring um She was this really cool mix of like alternative um, as well as sweet. So she would be listening to Eminem and Marilyn Manson and, you know, saying terrible words. But then um, she'd want to watch Blue's Clues and cuddle up in her Blue's Clues blanket. And, you know, she had every cartoon character T-shirt from Hot Topic that existed at the time, pretty much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, arms full of bracelets and just super warm and fuzzy and friendly, but also, like, took no shit, right? She, um, she was the first to stand up for me. She was the first to tell me we have to go down to the playground and, you know, I got to go kick this girl's ass because she talks shit. Um, so <laughs> it was this really crazy, cool mix um, that really, I, I think makes me who I am today. She's made me so, so strong. It was never an option of, you know, I, I would go to her and say, I'm being bullied or somebody's being mean to me. And it wasn't, I'm so sorry, you know, that shouldn't happen. It was like, let's go do something about it. Um, you know, <laughs> we're going to fix this right now. Um, so yeah, I attribute so much of my strength to to her. And um, yeah, we we had this normal sibling rivalry, um, but also she cared for me in so many ways. Like I said, I, I didn't realize things like making sure that I, I looked appropriate going out of the house um, and just making sure that I was taken care of.
0: So um, for my listeners that may not be familiar with this story, um, your mother passed away when you were very young and she was also uh, Alyssa's mother, right?
1: Yeah. So um, I always forget to mention that um, one of the reasons, obviously, Alyssa was so mothering to me is that we did lose our mother. You know, I was about four and she was about eight. So we were both really, really young.
0: Yeah. So that's why she stepped into that role, really trying to help. Uh, help you probably more than anything in that scenario. So your, her relationship with your father, her stepfather, which I know there was a whole thing about, you don't call each other step parents or anything like that in your house. But um, can you talk a little bit about that relationship?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like you said, we did have that very strict rule of we're not step, we're not half, we're all family. Um, but unfortunately, uh, Alyssa was treated very differently and had a very unique relationship with our father, her stepfather. Um, essentially, he was, you know, for lack of a, a better word, obsessed. Um, and I mean that in really every sense of the word. He monitored everything she did um, and was very, very worried about what she would tell people from a young age so when Alyssa was nine years old, she actually went to her teacher, which was also my um, our father's girlfriend at the time, and said, hey, I'm having sex with my dad. Um, you know, unfortunately, that wasn't reported and nothing really came of it. But ever since then, you know, he had really kept a... a tight leash on her and kept an eye on her and always talked about how she was such a blabbermouth, and how you know there were no family secrets with Alyssa around because she would tell everyone Um, and this really transpired all throughout her teenage years Um, he just became so controlling and obsessive to the point where she wasn't allowed to do normal things Um, you know she did hold a job and eventually she had a boyfriend um, but she was watched every step of the way and I mean Watched. We had um, secret cameras in the vent. We had a recording system on the phone. He would go to her job and, you know, spy on her from across the street with binoculars. Really, really intense things, you know. And we later find out that he also had her sign uh, behavioral contracts, contracts stating um, things like she would be back at a certain time. You know, uh, she wasn't allowed to walk alone after dark. Um, And of course, like the most shocking is that she was never sexually or physically or emotionally abused by our father. You know, he made her sign these things but he was just so so controlling over her like he wasn't with any other child of his you know and he has six kids so there's a lot to choose from um and it's very apparent that it was a very unique relationship
0: yeah Uh, it's disturbing to say the least i mean just even on the surface of it it just seems very uh, from the outside looking in you know uh Trying not to be judgmental, but it does seem very odd and strange. Not something that I'm definitely used to in my family unit, even though my family was fucked up. Don't get me wrong.
1: (laughs) Well, even for me, he didn't do that with me. So um, when I found out about all this, I I was pretty shocked because I had every freedom in the world. I wasn't made to go to school. I wasn't made to do anything I didn't want to do. You know, I came home um, one day with dress code, you know, my belly was showing and my dad went down to the school and uh, defended my right to wear whatever the hell I wanted. Um, I had no rules and he would condone pretty much anything I, I wanted to do, you know, and When I became her age, um, you know, things like drinking and smoking pot were the end of the world Um, when my dad found out Alyssa was doing it. And when I did it, he would supply me with it. Um, So, I mean, night and day.
0: That's just, you know, for me, that's one of the most um, shocking parts of this whole thing. I mean, there's a lot of shocking parts, but just the dichotomy between your relationship with your father and her relationship is just so black and white and night and day. Um, It really stands out in the way that you deliver that on your show. Anything else you want to share about Alyssa that you remember before we move into some other topics?
1: Just that she was amazing and wonderful. And I could sit here and talk all day about how how sweet she was, you know, and just that he portrayed her very much in a way that was not her. Um, Whenever he speaks about her, even to this day, you know, she is a drug user with ADD who didn't know how to look up, um, you know, how to order a pizza out of the phone book. Um, And that that wasn't her. And I think, you know, I think I've gotten that point across, but I always like to reiterate that.
0: Yeah. And I think for maybe some of my listeners, they haven't heard the whole story. I would definitely encourage them to listen to Voices for Justice podcast. It is uh, very thorough, uh, extremely well done. It's it's intense to listen to, but it's, it's an important story to tell because it does paint a clear picture of what happened. Uh, even though you don't have a lot of the answers that you're looking for yet, um, it does set up for a very clear picture of what was happening prior to her disappearance.
1: Yeah, I certainly try. I just try to lay out all the facts, and I think that the evidence is damning enough that I really don't have to say much beyond that.
0: Yeah, I think you do a good job of just, you know, and then, you know, playing the audio, playing some of the the clips of conversations, um, hearing her friends talk about her and how much they loved her and how much she meant to them. It's pretty heartbreaking to know that, you know, they're never going to have that relationship and that you're never going to have that relationship with her uh, again. It's just really sad.
1: I wanted people to hear it directly from Alyssa or her friends as much as possible, because you'll hear me say a million times I was oblivious and it's true. So I don't try to insert my opinion as as much as possible unless um, I'm the only one that was there or for whatever reason, it's extremely relevant. I'm just like the least important player in this story um, until we get to the justice part. Right. Um, But yeah. Yeah.
0: Can we talk about Uh, her disappearance.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So when Alyssa was 17, I was 12. It was um, May 17th, 2001. It was the last day of her junior year in high school. Um, And she was supposed to go to a party that night. She was going to attend graduation. She was going to hang out with her boyfriend. Um, But in the middle of the day, our father picks her up early from school and tells no one. Um, He supposedly takes her out to lunch where um, they return to the home and get into a fight about the summer rules. My father says that Alyssa wanted more freedom and that, you know, he refused and she got pissed. So he drops her off at her home. um, Or I'm sorry, they're already at home. He leaves the home to go run errands um and eventually you know he's shopping for a camera lens he says um and the time frame is iffy right we have almost anywhere from like four hours all the way up to nine hours where his whereabouts are unaccounted for but we believe you know he leaves the home about one o'clock um makes a phone call that's um i think about seven or nine minutes um at about 110 p.m um know i'm getting really nitty-gritty um that's okay. I just know so much now, but um, yeah. So he runs these errands, and then um, he comes and picks me up. Um, what I was doing that day was it was the last day of seventh grade for me, so I was off at a water park. Um, and I got home from school, or I, I got off the bus, and my dad wasn't there, so I went and walked to a friend's house, which was totally normal. I did that all the time. Um, like I said, I kind of did whatever I wanted. So, me leaving school and going to a friend's house because he wasn't there was totally not abnormal. Um, and then he comes and picks me up i had been smoking cigarettes um with my friends uh, one of my only rules right because our mother did die of lung cancer you know she was a smoker so um smoking was a huge no-no and i was terrified um we uh, sprayed each other with perfume and i said <laughs> you know um i was i was ready with the story that we had a perfume fight which you know as a 12 year old is completely legitimate in your mind <laughs> um But yeah, and unfortunately, you know, I wasn't interviewed by police for like so many years after, um, about seven years. So I I could not tell you what time I was picked up and my accounts differ over the years. And to be honest, I have, I cannot tell you. Um, but I was picked up, I get into the truck and I smell like cigarettes and, and much to my relief, he doesn't say anything. Um, but he does say, Alyssa's not answering her phone. Will you give her a call? And he hands me his cell phone, the same cell phone that he had been calling her on um, to, to call her. And I call her a few times. There's no answer. Um, and, you know, we're only like a mile or two away from the house. So we're, we're home pretty quickly. And um, I don't know who enters the house first, but I go into her bedroom first. And I find um, her backpack has been dumped all over the ground, which you notice immediately because Alyssa always had a really neat room. Um, and then to the left is her dresser, and there's a note um, and her cell phone, you know, and the note says something to the effect of, Dad and Sarah, when you dropped me off at school today, I decided I really am going to California. Um, That's why I saved my money. Sarah, you wanted me gone. Now you have it. Dad, I took $300 from you, Alyssa." Um, and yeah, so she was gone. I did not panic. I thought, whatever, she left to a friend's house. She's mad. Um, doesn't seem like a crazy idea to me. And then at about 10 PM, our father, um, calls, calls her in missing and and reports that, but he says, essentially my drug user daughter was mad at me. And so she went to her aunt's house in California as opposed to my child is missing and I cannot find her. Please help me. Right. Um, But, yeah, so he reports her to the police that way, but immediately seemed panicked to friends and family. You know, he started calling my brothers and started calling her friends. And in my mind, he seemed to panic immediately. So when I read the way that he reported her missing, I was really shocked by that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot um, and there's a lot in in your show about leading up to her disappearance. Um, Can you tell me again what the date and year was?
1: Yeah. May 17th, 2001.
0: So she was finishing high school or was that her junior or senior year?
1: So it was her junior year. She would have still had one more year to go before graduating.
0: Okay. So I know there's a lot of um, questions around, you know, the fact that he didn't really disclose, your father didn't really disclose to anybody that he had picked up Alyssa. Um, That was found out later. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I didn't find out until the police sat me down and gave me a whole rundown of the case. Um, And you can hear it. I I play that clip on on my on Voices for Justice. And I, I say he took her out of school early that day or something to the effect of I didn't know.
0: So that was right before the raid, right? That was when they were giving you all the inconsistencies in his story and everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have 40 minutes of audio of the police sitting me down and saying how they've exhausted every single lead except for my father and that it was most likely him. You know, They even say something to the effect of like, well, you know, when you watch TV, it's like the last person to see them. Um, I mean, they really, really drove it home that they thought it was him, at least in my opinion.
0: And his story changed a lot too. First, it was the aunt in California. Then it was something about the boyfriend. There was a bunch of different it felt like there were a bunch of different stories coming from him throughout the whole the whole investigation.
1: Oh, yeah. So I have an episode titled stories um, and it goes over all the different stories that my father has told. And honestly, since then, I, I found out a few more Um But it's insane. I mean, he tells every story from, um, you know, I dropped her off at the movies and um, I came back to pick her up and she was gone to she left with a guy from Jack in the Box where she worked um, to she just ran away to the union killed her to maybe the janitor did it like there's everything in between and it is absolutely insane. And the same goes for, um, you know, there's this phone call a a week after she goes missing. Right. So it's it's pretty much a week to the day and it's almost 5 a.m. exactly and um, my father supposedly, well, he does, he gets a phone call. We know that this phone call exists and it comes from um, a payphone near Riverside, California. And he says, it's Alyssa that Alyssa says something to the effect of like, I hate you. You're ruining my life and, and curses him out or something and then hangs up. Um, however, we've never been able to prove that that's Alyssa. It was also like under 30 seconds. It's, it's just a really strange call. Um, again, we can prove it exists, but there's nothing to say it was Alyssa and it was never recorded on our passive recording system on our phone. You know, it recorded every phone call coming in and every phone call going out for over 30 years. Wow. And um, yeah, and this just happened to be one of the ones they missed, you know, the same with the surveillance, the video cameras from the day of recorded everything for days on end. And, um, we happen to not have that also. Um, and these stories from my dad just keep changing, right? So first, it's, you know, the um, the audio messed up. And second, it's, um, you know, it was never on at all. And the same with the surveillance. He says, um, he even tells the police, like, yeah, you can come pick it up from our house. And then kind of backs out um, and never gives it to them. And then he says it never existed at all. He says he's reviewed all eight hours and there's nothing. Like, his story just changes all the time.
0: Listening to some of the transcripts of your father's conversations with different authorities and agencies, um, I have to say, I'm, I'm sure it's frustrating for you, but it was extremely frustrating as a listener because he just really seems to talk in circles about nothing for a really long time. Do you feel like that's a fair characterization of? Of how he was dealing with the situation?
1: Absolutely, yeah. No, he does talk in circles, and it's about absolutely nothing. Um, So it's extremely hard to pin down details from him. And it's funny, because when you read the case records, like you can see the the detective's frustration in that. They even put at the end of some of these transcripts, like, the tape finally ends. Like, (laughs) the amount of times that they use the word finally, um, it literally cracks me up. But yeah, I mean, he... I don't want to say insane because it's not quite that. Right. I think that he really likes to hear himself talk and he really likes to tell these stories. And when he thinks that someone isn't getting it, I think he likes to reiterate it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're maybe not buying his story about the union, he'll probably tell you about how power plants are corrupt and how that all ties into you know, campaign finance money and taxpayer money paying for inappropriate things. And yeah, it, it's really interesting. Um, and it's interesting to me that he called and told so many people what was going on, you know, like, um, for example, uh, almost one year to the day before Alyssa went missing, there was a huge incident between them two in which he took Alyssa into the middle of the desert, attempted to sexually assault her, to which she stays calm and she gets in the vehicle and gets home with my father. Uh, but once she gets into the carport, you know, just the covered parking area at our home, she runs, she runs to a neighbor's house and begs for help and tells him what happened um and yeah I, and <laughs> It's, it's such a long, crazy story, but essentially my father ends up, you know, saying Alyssa's on drugs, whatever. My brother who was not present, but heard this story secondhand says that my father, um, intimidated the neighbor to let Alyssa go essentially. And that neighbor's never been, um, interviewed or anything like that. Um, but yeah, he goes and he tells so many people about this mm-hmm. incident. He calls yep. child protective services twice and says, you know, my daughter's going to call and say, I, I'm molesting her because she wants a truck but this is what happened but he also proceeds to tell like the governor's office and the mayor and even calls the police and tells them like he ratted himself out so many times and he tells police these things you know he gave the police one of the contracts that he made Alyssa sign it was like he was begging them to look into him like he was bored or taunting them
0: yeah I uh I was struck by that as well. I felt like some of his talking in circles to me felt like he might have been just trying to distract or try to kind of change the subject. It seemed like he was very aware of what he was doing, it, just for my opinion. I don't know. Um, that's all speculation. But that's just kind of the the sense that I got listening to that. Uh, but the thing that really struck me was when he called Child Protective Services preemptively before Alyssa even did anything. And it didn't really seem like he was even sure she was going to do anything. I felt like that was really strange.
1: Yeah, you could tell that he was scared. And this yeah. is what he does, because he'll do this later. He he does it at certain points in the investigation. Um, one, you know, when Alyssa, when he had that incident with Alyssa, and second, when he believes the police are investigating him, he also goes crazy and makes a ton of phone calls. It's just what he does. Like, as if he thinks a congressman or the mayor is going to say, you know, stop this. Um, he even goes as far as, like, getting a doctor's note to get out of the investigation. Like, as if anyone feels like poor you, there's no reason you should go down to do a formal interview with the police. Like your child is missing. This is like case 101 stuff. Like child is missing, interview the parents, step one. And he wouldn't even do that.
0: Wow, that's baffling. I can't imagine what kind of note that would have been. I mean, it's just, that's strange.
1: I mean, it was short, right? I think that he wrote the note and had her sign it. I I think that he really authored it. The thing with his like... Psychiatry is, you know, he had these court-mandated psychiatry sessions multiple times a week for decades, Um, but he lied to them and, in my opinion, manipulated them. I mean, even to the point at the very end with his last doctor, he had an agreement in which he would give her extra pills that he had or whatever. Like, just totally inappropriate and totally insane, and it's not that I think either doctor is malicious or a bad person. I think that he just lied to them. So how could he ever get proper treatment if he wasn't being honest about what he was going through?
0: Yeah, it sounds like he's he can be very manipulative if he needs to be. And and I think you kind of see that dynamic when um, you're talking about your siblings, your other siblings and how he interacts with them and how he tries to play them off each other. It just was all very apparent that he was good at being manipulative and good at Telling people maybe what they want to hear or what he thinks they want to hear uh, just to get them off his back. At least that's my interpretation of what I've heard so far.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. He's extremely manipulative and extremely charming, unfortunately, and he's really smart. He is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really deadly combination when he has bad intentions. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, my whole life, he manipulated us, you know, he, um, he would always play me and Alyssa against each other, just because we were treated so differently. So that um, really drove a wedge between us. We always thought the other one was treated better. And um, now that sounds crazy, right, that I thought Alyssa was treated better, but I, I was jealous of the attention she got. I'm over here, you know, begging him to care if I go to school and he's over there on top of her every second watching everything she does so it it was this crazy dynamic that really um yeah it, it caused a lot of trouble between all the siblings and you can look through you know the papers and and I state a lot of the things on the podcast you know he even says like at one point that one brother could have forged the the runaway note um he says another brother is lying like he he throws his kids under the bus all the time and it's just it's really gross.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's a very disturbing part of it. Let's talk about that note for a second. Um, I think you said on the show that it was analyzed by a handwriting expert and they did say it was Alyssa's handwriting. Is that yeah, correct? I-
1: Yeah, correct. Um, I'm so excited to go over that in depth. We just haven't gotten there yet on the podcast. But um, yes, it is her handwriting. And they did a a huge analysis of it. And they also determined that it was written on on different days, they believe. Um, There's a lot of different things that go into her signature and whatnot. Um, But yeah, they're, they're fairly certain that a portion of the note was written on a different day, which says a lot. It says that she didn't spontaneously write this thing and and run away, in my mind, unless she wrote it one day and then finished it the next day and decided it didn't need to make sense. Um, You know, it references things that didn't happen. You know, when you dropped me off at school today, I decided I really am running away. But instead, I let you pick me up. And then we went to lunch and everything was fine. Why wouldn't it why wouldn't the note read after we had our big fight I decided I can't live under your rules and I'm leaving. Had it said that it would have been a totally different story. Um, But, you know, she writes it in such a way that she would have run away directly from school or that he wouldn't have been home. It just, it makes no sense.
0: Yeah, that's that's very disturbing.
1: I mean, one crucial part of that note that I forgot to mention um, is the $1,800, right? You know, she says, so there's a few different parts with the money, actually, that, that are insane. So it says, Dad, that's why I saved my money. So she had $1,860 in her bank account, but it was never touched. She did not take it out. And this is money that she earned from Jack in the Box. You know, she made, I forget what it was, like $6 and something an hour. So saving $1,800 for a 17-year-old is not easy. Um, um, in addition, you know, it says, Dada took $300 from you. And my brother John later comes out and says, hey, I remember Alyssa taking that $300 before she left. Um, it was a thing. You know, she got in trouble. She gave it back. She apologized. You know, it was this whole ordeal that she talked to him about. So, again, it's indicative that the note is older than we would think.
0: Wow. Yeah, I don't even know what to say to that. I'm just shocked. Um, that was what I was going to bring up, and I thank you for remembering for me, was was the fact that she had all this money in her uh, savings account or checking account that was untouched forever until yeah. I believe I mean, you never. and your father withdrew some of it, I think.
1: I think it was six months later that my dad put it all into my account, I believe. He just uh, put it all into mine and, and closed hers out. Which, again, wouldn't you want your daughter to have access to that? I mean, I would leave that open for... Probably forever. forever, at least yeah. with, a, you know, even if you needed the money, like leave the $25 or whatever so that you can see that overdraft or whatever it is, just so you can see the movement on it. You know, again, it was direct deposit from Jack in the Box. So I, I can't tell you for sure, but I imagine she had her own bank card. There'd be no reason not to. I, I did at her age. You know, we had the same exact account, essentially, where you're a minor and your parents on the account, you know, because we were learning to save money or whatever. Um, and I had a card, so I don't see why she wouldn't have one.
0: Right. You could at least see if she did take any money or she did try to do anything with that account, you could find out where she is.
1: Right, but no, he closed the account, um, and shortly after she was gone, you know, he got rid of one of um, got rid of her ferret. I came home from school one day, and her ferret was gone, and I was pissed. And then shortly after, her cat, you know, quote ran away, um, which we'd never had a cat run away before that. Um, so just really interesting things, you know, like most of her stuff was gone. We we moved directly across the street about a year after Alyssa was gone. And I mean, directly across the street, like a Like a, you know, I don't know how to describe my neighborhood. Like a suburb, um, where you can literally open your front door and see the house and throw a rock and and hit it. Um, But yeah, so we moved right across the street and. So many of her items were just gone and I can't tell you what happened to them. Like I have so few things and I can tell you, I didn't throw away anything that was Alyssa's. But by the time I moved out of that house and started taking everything with me, her stuff was gone.
0: That's just, I mean, as a parent, I have a 14 year old son. I I can't imagine doing any of that if he ever, God forbid, went missing. Like I can't imagine, I would hold on to every little thing that I could to keep his memory alive because that would just be so heartbreaking to get rid of any of it you know and i'm not a hoarder like i try to keep things pretty neat but um that is very telling to me so um i know that it took you a while to start to suspect your dad can you talk a little bit about that process and then what ultimately led you to uh joining with your other siblings and in kind of speculating that he was responsible for Alyssa's disappearance.
1: Yeah. So, of course, for the longest time, I never believed my father did this. I just had no reason to believe it. I didn't know about the abuse. I didn't really understand how differently we were treated um, in that sense. <laughs> in terms of it going above and beyond. Of course, I knew about the camera and the vent. um, But when you grow up with surveillance, it seems pretty normal. Um, Yeah, so unfortunately, I didn't catch on to it for a while. And it was this huge domino effect of events, right? So um, a a big part of it, I think, stems from the raid, of course, that changes everything. So the police didn't look into this for so, so long. And when they finally did, you know, they, they decided it was pretty likely that it was my father and they came to raid our home to get the items that he refused to give them. And they ended up finding, you know, 20, six pipe bombs and 19 high caliber assault rifles um, and a plan to blow up this union that he had held this grudge against for so, so long. Um, yeah. And at that time still, I was defending him, right? So so you can hear episode nine of my podcast is the 40 minutes of the police telling me why my dad's guilty and, and pretty much how horrible he is. And I don't say much uh, to the effect of defending him or, or anything, um, but I didn't absorb it. You know, up until a year ago, I would have told you that meeting was five minutes long. Um, I completely blocked it out of my brain and I would tell you that I wouldn't find out these things until ABC 2020, which is not the truth because I found out in that meeting, I just never recalled it that way. Like, it's like I blacked out, um, But yeah, so the raid happens and I get told these shocking things. And of course, my life is thrown upside down Um, and I'm given all this responsibility, right? Like I get legal power of attorney over everything. I'm the youngest of six and I have full legal reign over my dad's accounts and and everything. And I take over the house and, you know, I'm 19. I'm just a kid in college or whatever. Um, And, you know, he starts being a little unsupportive and demanding and not so nice. And, you know, I figure it's because he's in prison and it's such a shock and how hard it must be for him you know and I'm making sure he has like five hundred dollars a month in his commissary or whatever some crazy obnoxious amount where he can have whatever he wants um but you know he starts treating me not so nice and we do ABC 2020 which is all well and good and I go on there and speak my truth which is I thought my dad was innocent I wished Alyssa was on the beach sipping margaritas which was you know a thousand percent true there's there's so much guilt in giving up hope that your loved one's alive like to to make that switch and say i no longer believe you're alive it's it's as if you're I don't know, doing something terrible to the one that you love. At least it feels that way um, because I can't imagine being missing and someone not thinking you're alive. Um, but eventually, yeah, after the 2020 and I read, you know, a thousand people's comments online and I start talking more to my brothers, um, it just makes more and more sense that my dad's involved. I just never saw it that way until it was presented and kind of drilled into my head Um And then I go to detectives immediately and I say, hey, like, you know, I I went to my dad and I asked him, you know, I I asked him what happened or if he did this and he skated around the topic and I'm leaning towards what you guys think now. Like, how can I help you? Um, And we start this dialogue of when's the last time you talked to your father? Have you talked to him, you know, about this? Can you ask him this question? What do you think about this? Do you recall this? Can you give us this? you know, and I find a map with, you know, random places circled on it and I give it to them. So I'm, I'm really trying to help them figure this out, um, and eventually, they come to me and they say, "Okay, this is what we're going to do." You know, my father's in prison at this point for the bombs, for this largest pipe bomb bust in Phoenix history. He's serving 10 years. And so they come to me and they say, um, "What we're going to do is charge him the day he gets out because if we charge him now, he'll be able to combine his sentences and serve a shorter term." Um, to which I'm like, "Okay, great. Like you're the experts. Whatever. You know, I trust you guys, and I did a thousand percent." And then a few days before my father was due to be released from prison, I get an email saying that the two detectives on Alyssa's case that have been the detectives for 10 years or so were reassigned. And I'm still thinking, okay, well, you know, case closed. Like that makes sense. They're reassigned, you know, they're going to a different case. There's not much to do here. Um, and of course my father gets released and, and nothing happens, unfortunately, even, you know, after this partnership and and trying to help him. Um, and we have this meeting and they say, you know, we're not going to prosecute. And I fall to pieces and cry my eyes out. And, um, I say, you know, what, what can we do? Um, and they they really say nothing, you know. We're not going to prosecute. And I say, okay, are we going to look for a body? You know, if you need this body to prosecute, let's look for it. And they say we're not going to do that. We don't have the resources. And I say, can I help you raise money for the resources? You know, I'll start a GoFundMe or whatever. And they say no. Um, and they say, but what we're going to do is give you a silent witness campaign, and what that's going to entail is so many radio slots on this AM radio show at, you know, whatever ad slots don't sell. And then we're going to give you. Um, a billboard on every freeway in Phoenix and we highly encourage you to get media exposure. You know, we, we encourage you to go out there on your own. Your your only chance is to get media for your sister. Um, So, you know, this, like, I think like two radio spots or something played um, and then I had zero billboards and I started getting media and that's really where all this started. I, did not want to go this route. Um, getting media is not easy. I really wanted that traditional prosecution, but um, I had no choice at that point.
0: Yeah, and it seems like this has almost become another full-time job for you. Just the amount of work that you're putting into it. You know, I think just as somebody who's experienced something similar in my own family, and um, not exactly the same, but but maybe a little bit similar, where a family member is, you know harmed by another family member. I can definitely relate to the feeling of like feeling like you're giving up, uh, feeling like admitting that that this is what's happened and this is where you're going to be is is like giving up on them. Um, but I think that the effort that you're putting in to get the word out there is is not, it's the opposite of that. Just from somebody who's not in the same situation, but in a similar situation, I think you should feel maybe less guilty. Uh, I, I know that I can't talk about you feeling not guilty because I know that's always gonna be there. Um but maybe you can feel a little less guilty in knowing that you know you're you're fighting for her and you're fighting for her for justice for her. And um and I am very inspired by you. Um I told you that on, on the first message I sent you on Twitter that you really have inspired me to start fighting my own justice battle for my brother and to even record uh, an episode about him, which w- is coming out and s- the first episode of season two for True Consequences. Um, but I want to say thank you for that because you really have inspired me to and motivated me to do that. So thank you.
1: Of course. So no, that's that's so amazing. That's like the best unintended side effect of this whole thing um, is, is helping people and yeah, it's really become a life mission because, like you said, it is a full-time job. I I do work a full-time job, and then I I come home and I do this. You know, um, it it's exhausting, but it's my active form of grieving. And you know, the podcast won't last forever—at least not Alyssa's season. Um, But yeah, I feel like this is this is my time. Um, I really, really had to ramp it up this year. I was given a case update that I dangled in front of everybody. Right. It was it was like over a year ago. And I'm like, oh, big case update. You know, I can't wait to tell you guys um, because they told me and they said, you know, um, it'll be two weeks. Well, we'll know in two weeks. Um, And it's been over a year now. So during that year, you know, I got to that six month Point, um, and this is last year before I started the podcast, and I'm like, I can't. I'm begging people to cover this. Like, nobody is going to care about this as much as me. I was getting frustrated that nobody had the same passion as me, people that could have affected change in this case. And I was highly encouraged to start my own podcast. And so that's a big reason of why I did it. Like, what bigger push than for me to get, you know, the case file, which is thousands of documents, thousands of documents, and really put it all out there because I started reading through them and the the crap that happened is unbelievable. Like the things that my dad said, the things that the police do, the fact that the FBI came into this case twice and asked why this wasn't being investigated as a homicide. These are things that have never been explored. Um, so yeah, I mean, a- as much as I was out there, you know, pounding the pavement and asking everyone to cover this case, I really just realized I have to get this into my own hands and and go crazy on this and expose how insane it is because I, I can't expect, you know someone else to come in and put it all on the line you know what I'm doing is is a little risky it it really hasn't been done before I'm not outright accusing my father but I am pointing all evidence in his direction and laying it out Um, but I don't think people understand how natural that is um, in terms of going through the case file like it all just points to one direction so I do try to really rein that in Um, but yeah I realized that if anyone was going to do it and make this happen and cause the biggest noise about it 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 had to be me. So um, hopefully it's working.
0: I I don't know if it's working with the police department in Phoenix, and I don't know if it's working with with any of of that. But I think that you are getting some momentum, at least, you know, from from the Internet, for lack of a better word, um, and and some awareness, which I think is huge. Uh, Has Phoenix police communicated with you at all since last year?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We talk all the time, um, because I'm always asking them extra questions or requesting documents or records. Um, and you know, we do communicate about that case update and I'm always asking what's going on with it. And, um, there's been a little bit of movement there, but, um, nothing definite yet, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, no, we communicate all the time. It's, it's insane.
0: (laughs) So I don't think we, we flat out said this, but, um, Maybe we did. So I think that it's your belief and and probably a lot of people's belief that Alyssa is dead and that it's as a result of probably some malicious intent from your father or malicious action from your father. Can you talk a little bit about what those suspicions are that you have. I I don't want you to give away too much. Um, I know you still have more episodes of your show coming out, but um, anything that you want to share from that perspective with my listeners?
1: In an effort to be fair, there will be an entire theories episode on the podcast where I go over everything right every type of theory that I can think of and I asked people for other theories because I want to explore it you know like I don't think people understand like I don't want this to be my dad like this isn't option number one for me Um, I would love if at the end it wasn't him that would be amazing to not lose two people in my life Um, but yeah unfortunately when you look at all the circumstance and you know history of my father's behavior and how what he did in the past is very similar to what we all think happened to Alyssa or what a lot of people think happened to Alyssa. It just makes the most sense. Um and of course the the police believe this too. There's there's no shortage of authorities really believing this. Um and, and everyone in the family as well. I was the last of all the kids to believe this. You know, when I told my brothers, they were kind of like, yeah, you know, we just didn't want to tell you I'm so much younger. I can't blame them. Um, yeah, the evidence really does point to that he was most likely involved. And there's a few different reasons for that, right? Um, we know that the note doesn't make a ton of sense. We know that a lot of evidence that should be there to defend his innocence is missing. You know, if, if you watched all eight hours of this surveillance tape you have of Alyssa's last day, then hand it over so you can clear yourself. Um yeah, just, just so much of that. Um, and, of course, you know, he's made statements like, come to the deathbed and I'll give you all the honest answers you want to hear. And he's offered to um, give a complete confession if the state agrees to give him lethal injection within 10 days. Um, so really really indicative of, um, being guilty in my mind. Uh, but yeah, I think that even it being on the last day of school is very curious. Um, you know, when, when children go missing today and they're in a school, you often find that they'll hold an assembly or at least acknowledge it to some point, right? They'll say, you know, we understand that your classmate is missing. These resources are available to you if you need to talk. Um, and with Alyssa being gone on the last day of school, there was no room for that. You know, it, it ensured that no one was looking for her, that no one was asking why she wasn't attending the next class, and it gave pretty much all summer for people to kind of forget about her. You know, you're gonna notice a lot more if a classmate's gone in the middle of the year versus not seeing them after the summer. You know, everybody loses touch over the summer; it's just kind of what happens. Um, but yeah, I think that he picked her up out of early out of school early that day, like he had in the past. I think that he went to go. Of, um, sexually abuse her like he had in the past um, and that something went wrong or that it was his plan all along. I, I do lean towards it was premeditated because of the note, right? We we have this note that we know wasn't all written on the same day, which means it was somewhere before it, w- before it was left by her and whether that was in our father's possession and he got pissed or I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think between the note and it being in the last day of school, I think that this was very much planned. Um, Again, I can't tell you if it was like something he had in the back of his mind ready for when she was going to act up or if he specifically was ready to do it that day, but definitely premeditated. and in terms of like you know what he did with the body it, it's so hard to tell you know um you know like new mexico dirt is very similar to arizona dirt i i would have to say in that it's dry and firm and packed and almost impossible to dig it's not like the forest where you can like dig with your hands or whatever like even if i clawed for my life at the ground with my nails you would get almost nothing up you know in this desert desert ground it's just so hard so there would have had to been a hole or there would have had had to been some type of digging equipment or multiple people not even just two people I mean even with that turnaround that would be a, a hard task to dig a hole in four or five hours by yourself or even with two people out in the desert um so yeah I think that some of the curious spots are you know um there was a mall near us about a mile away being developed um meaning that I I, ha- I really want to get the building schedule. they will not respond to me which like granted yeah you don't want to be the mall with like the dead body under it or whatever so I understand why that's not, not a smart marketing play. Um, but yeah, I would love to know what holes were open at that time um, because the way that these construction sites go um, is my understanding from my limited research is um, what they do is they use ground penetrating radar before they dig because they want to make sure that they're not hitting power lines or you know sewer pipes or whatever. Um, but once they dig, that's it. So once there's an, an empty hole, anything can be put in there for cement to go on top of it. They're not going to check again. Um, but in addition to that, you know, my father also made dozens of phone calls about a specific area of land um in northern Arizona. I mean, not too northern, but um north of where we lived, um, that was being annexed by the city. he He made all these calls wondering what was going on it. Was it being developed? Was it being dug? Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's really curious. But yeah, I mean, overall, I, I do lean towards um, that my father probably had something to do with it and that he had been planning it for at least some time.
0: Yeah, I think your point, it makes a lot of sense that you would look for some place where there was already a giant hole in the ground. Um especially for the sake of time. And I think that those hours where he was unaccounted for from the time he picked up Alyssa and the time he picked you up could have been sufficient amount of time to do what he needed to do if this was the case. And you alluded to the fact that a lot of what you suspect and what Alyssa said happened to her had happened before with other members of, of the family or extended family. Um, he's, he'd been known for, you know, sexually abusing people near him so that it's not far off to say that he, this could have been all connected to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, what can my listeners do to help support your cause.
1: Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, just share her story. Um, I, I wish that there was a magic recipe that would make the police do something, but it's just that slow build of pressure. So please share this podcast, share your favorite piece of content with Alyssa, whatever it is, just share her story and and talk about her. Um, yeah, I mean, I have things like uh, GoFundMe for billboards and I have a Patreon. Um, I have a merch store and all that, which is helpful. But really, just, just share it. Just get the word out. I, I need the whole world screaming about this and um, I need it to happen fast. <laughs> so please share.
0: Well, hopefully this helped. I definitely would love to be as helpful as possible with you. So I'm always happy to retweet you and, and share everything. Um, you know, I... I'm heartbroken by the story, and uh, I just hope we can we can get some justice for her. and hopefully you can move on to maybe justice for other people or whatever you need to do with your life. Um, no pressure there, but um, <laughs> but let's start with justice for Alyssa for sure. Um, I know that's a hashtag as well. Hashtag justice for Alyssa. So if you're listening to this and you want to share information about the case, you want to get people informed about the case, um, there's a lot of other crossover episodes on other podcasts as well that you can listen to. You just type in Sarah Turney into your podcast catcher and you'll find, I'm sure, tons of episodes about her. Um, so by all means please uh share share her story and let's let's get the word out Uh, we're not too far from phoenix so i'm sure there's a lot of people in new mexico with connections in arizona Uh, i know i have some so yes please anything else you want to say or anything else you want to share before we wrap this up
1: um no just thank you so much for listening to Alyssa's story i appreciate it um it, it really does mean the world to me that people care And that's amazing. And you're amazing for caring about people who are missing or, um, you know, murdered or don't have justice. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Thanks again for listening to True Consequences. Follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at True Consequences Pod, and on Twitter at True Cons Pod. True Consequences is hosted, written, and produced by me, your host, Eric Carter-Landine. Thanks for listening, and stay safe, New Mexico.